MNK Talk YA now presents The Girl the Sea Gave Back, Part 2, from the Sky in the Deep series by Adrian Young. everyone to another episode of M&K Talk YA. I'm Katie Bradford. And I'm Marissa Snyder. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast, and this is our last book episode of the year. Oh no! We finished The Girl the Sea Gave Back by Adrienne Young, which is the second book in a companion series. So, so yeah, we're done. We're done reading. I can't believe the season went so fast. And I feel like it was our most... I mean, we haven't run all the stats and stuff. We'll do that next week. But I feel like we just read a lot more this season than we have previously. Maybe that's wrong. No, I think you're right. Because I think a lot of books that we read were like duologies and they were shorter. Like last season, we read a couple really long books. That's true. Yeah. I think that helps a lot. And I think just the fact that we like kind of knew what we were doing a little bit more made it feel smoother. Yeah. We're in a groove now. Yeah. Yeah. We say, and then probably this whole audio will be broken. Don't say that. Don't say that. I'm knocking on wood. Yeah, it's crazy to think that we're going into season four of the podcast. Our podcast is going to be a senior in high school. Oh my God. (laughs) And then it's going to go to college. Oh man. And then it's going to, I don't know. Get a full-time job and be miserable like everyone else. What will it be when it grows up? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it'll take a gap year and explore Europe yeah exactly it'll, it'll go abroad for a few years come back wait actually I think I texted you about this but I didn't follow up so my friend who also likes YA fiction was asking me if I had heard of a polycon have you ever heard of that no but you sent me something and I didn't know what it was and I didn't respond <laughs> yeah and I gave you no context <laughs> I'm sorry so I wrote, I sent it to you so I wouldn't forget. No, and I meant to follow up and then I did. And I actually didn't even look into it that much either. But I guess it's this author, Jennifer L. Armentrout. And I don't actually know what she's written. She's written at least one young adult series. So it's happening March 26th through 29th this year? Yeah, and like tickets are already sold out. So this should be a goal for 2021 that we should go to this. Okay, what is it? I, I was looking at the thing you sent me and I couldn't really get any details. Oh, wait, here's a menu. Let me try that. That would be helpful. So I guess this author, Jennifer L. Armanot, Armantrot, maybe we should read something up by her next year and see if we what we think. But she like kind of got sick of like the book signing, book tour stuff and started this book event, book convention thing that like sells out every year. And it's a ton of YA authors, I think, who go yeah. to it. It's young adult, new adult, and adult authors. I don't know. I just, I've heard it's really cool, and I don't really know that much about it. We should definitely do more research, but how fun would that be if we had a, like, weekend away and met a bunch of people in real life? so much fun. Yeah. But wait a minute, but it's sold out already? So the 2021 looked like it was sold out when I did my initial mm-hmm. research, so we should maybe plan to do it in 2021, and maybe we can start to, like, read, like, like I said, we could read her series or some of the other people who come every year if they're YA and fit our criteria. I'm looking at some of the authors. Um, J.R. Ward is a special guest. Who is that? 
That sounds terrible that I don't even know, but... I'm so bad at names, as we know. One of our fans messaged me the other day. She was like, oh, I was listening to the podcast, and man, you really are so bad at names. And I was like, I know! (laughs) It's bad when a fan calls you out. Oh, I have one of her books as Want to Read. It looks like, um... Oh, oh. She writes romance, it looks like. Dark Lover is her first one. (sighs) Sarah J. Moss is on the list. I know we're planning on one of her series next year, aren't we, I think? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it could be not a good fit or it could be a great fit so we should look into it a little bit more but regardless if we do this or something else we should totally try to do some kind of live event or something not, maybe not live podcasting but you and I meet up and do some cool yeah book stuff. some kind of weekend getaway that's all about YA I love this idea yeah. good goal for 2020 that and I want to learn how to not be a complete embarrassment to myself when I meet an author and talk to them in real life those are my two we should practice goals. How do we practice? Like um, on each other. Oh, like fake. Yeah, like mock interviews. Pretend one of us is. Well, you're an author, basically. Wouldn't that be funny if, like, when when you publish your book, huh. I suddenly get really awkward around you because you're an author? Like, just the change makes me awkward around you. That would be the worst thing ever. <laughs> and that would never happen. <laughs> I mean, I'm already kind of awkward, but I'm comfortable awkward around you, so it's all good. Yeah, same here. I think we're both enough comfortably awkward around each other that it's not awkward (laughs) exactly (sighs) (sighs) okay that was completely off topic but yeah this season is wrapping up we'll still do our official wrap-up episode I'll run all the numbers that I like to look at I have some fun questions too to ask you I saw this like poll on one of the bookstagrammers I follow about like different um, categories for like characters and books that they read over the year so I'm going to ask you about oh I can't wait I love the wrap-up episodes. I know, they're really fun. And it just makes me feel so accomplished. Oh my god, yeah. When you see, like, everything we've read and all the pages, like, you add up all the pages that we've read. I'm out of space in my podcast bookshelf, so I don't know what I'm going to do for next season. Build another bookshelf. Yeah, or do I move it to one of my bigger bookshelves and, like, rearrange everything? Or do I just split off the next season into a separate bookshelf? I have so many questions. I I need to put a poll up. (laughs) Do you have it organized by season, too? Like, you have all the season one books on one shelf and, like, season two books on another shelf? So the whole bookshelf is just our podcast books, and I bought almost all of them. And they're in order of how we read them. So it doesn't necessarily go to a new shelf for a new season, but they're Mm. in chronological order based on episodes that we recorded. That's amazing, and you need to take pictures of that. (laughs) Except Nevernight and the series are both, like on top of other but like it's already too full next season it's not gonna work anymore (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna have over full and another thing I have another bookshelf that's all my book of the month it's like a monthly Mm. subscription that I do they actually have a YA version now which I haven't looked into a ton but um I have also run out of room in that bookshelf so I think I need to do a whole overhaul of rearranging my shelves which I'm not complaining about because it's one of my favorite things to do well you know what's crazy is I like to gather up all the books that I have that we read for every season and like take pictures of them Mm-hmm. I only have one series that we've read this year. I have Daughter of Smoke and Bone, and that's it. I got all the other ones from the library, so I have nothing. If you had to buy – oh, we should talk about this next time, I guess, maybe. Okay. But think about which one, if you had to buy one series from this year to add to your collection, which one you'd want. That's a good idea. Actually, that would be, like, a nice gift to myself. I, I have a bad habit, like, even if I've already bought them, where I want to, like, when they have new covers come out or something like that, I just have a book-buying problem. It's really bad. I know. I almost went and bought all of um, V.E. Schwab's um, Shades of Magic books again because they, they, like, came out in a new edition, and they have new short stories in them. 
And I was tempted to like go buy them just to read the short stories, but instead I went into a bookstore and just read the stories really quickly and then put them back in the shelf and left. And I felt really bad about it. No, I feel like that's smart. <laughs> I wanted to like go in disguise like, <laughs> and make it a thing where I like put sunglasses on, like a wig. Then I thought that would be drawing even more attention to myself. That would be fun. What if we like come up with like a costume for each book series that we Oh my god. Do? Like cosplay? Yeah. Um, okay, we should definitely talk about that in the next. Okay, we're getting too excited. This isn't the end of the season I know. yet. This is just I know. a book. Okay, we still have to talk about this book. <laughs> what book are we reading again? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. What did you think about The Girl the Sea Gave Back Part 2? I have mixed feelings. I am not sure what I think about it, and this should surprise no one who's been following us because there's a big element of fate in it which I always struggle with in terms of mm-hmm. the rules and how it plays out and how much choice you have so that was like the hardest part for me especially when the cure people um and they were like talking about how they make all their decisions by r- rolling the stones and some of that stuff like part of me liked it and part of me was like <laughs> I don't know about this I have a lot more questions I kind of want more clarity but outside of that I actually was pretty happy with some of the character choices that were made and how we brought the two groups together a little bit. Because I was really confused about, we we sort of predicted that at the end, the spell would be like welcomed into the other Viking group, Nadir. But that didn't really happen. So I kind of like that we were a little bit wrong about that. But I don't understand. So Tova had that prophecy where she said like, in the future, there are no spell. And that didn't really come to play. That's true. And that's where, like, when you get into prophecies, I get kind of like, I don't know what's going on. Whatever. So, yeah, the prophecy things were kind of weird. And i that's why we both predicted it, right? We were like, oh, there's no more spell because they become something else. Right, right, right. And that would have made sense. Yeah. And it was just kind of like they put so much stock, the, the cure put so much stock into, you know, throwing the stones and reading and acting by them. And it was kind of like... I almost, like, really wanted all the prophecies to come true because that kind of gives more weight yeah. to, like, this entire people planning their lives around it. Well, and even, I still have questions. So part of the mystery, if you will, in the first half of the book was Tova didn't really know anything about her background. She thought she had been a sacrifice from her family. She later finds out right. um, that it was, like, a funeral pier that was sent out to the sea. And when she meets her parents, they tell her that she was dead. And then there was something about how her uncle, like, made a deal with a god. Like, but it, the how she came back to life and why didn't really make sense to me. Especially, again, because it was tied to fate, right? They said it was fated before you were born that you were yeah. going to die at a young age. I, I had a problem with that, too. But not as badly because at, at first I was like, okay, we haven't really seen anything where the gods interact with humans and like make something happen right and that was kind of the basis of Toba's backstory like the gods had like a destiny for her right so even though she died and drowned as a child they brought her back well was it the gods or was it the spinners I think they're different spinners gods okay yeah and so I was like okay well that's kind of annoying because we haven't really seen the spinners do anything else like that but then they mention that the spinners wanted the mm-hmm. Riki and Asuka to come together. 
And that's why like the spinners created the herja. And I actually really liked that because this entire time they kept talking about how like the herja didn't seem fully human and like were they another clan? No one knew where they came from. They like appear out of the mist. And so I kind of really liked tying that together where like they create the spinners like created this clan to cause havoc to like bring the Riki and Aska together. And because it had that that part, I believed Tova's story. That's fair. I guess I didn't not believe it. I just still had, there were like gaps in my knowledge. So it wasn't contradictory. Like I was like, okay, I believe that she was dead and came back and that there were some, but I just Mm -hmm. felt like there were missing pieces for me. So it wasn't like, like it really bothers me when things just don't line up. Like it was like, this was a rule in the first book and not a rule in the second book. Like that really, it wasn't like bad in that sense, but I just... Again, this was like a short, quick book, and I almost feel like it could have yeah. dived into some of the stuff even a little bit more, maybe. Flush it out. And I wish that we knew her uncle more. Yeah. So, um, Gerald? Is that what we decided we were going to call him? Yes. Um, I wish that we had seen him more because he actually ends up being like pretty important to her story, where mm-hmm. um, at the beginning, her uh, Tova's mom like reads her fate and knows that her daughter's going to die, and Gerald is like no, I'm going to promise you that I'll change her fate. And he, like, makes this promise. And then when he couldn't keep it, he, like, left. And he was upset about that. But then the fates, like, brought Jeld and, and Tova together to, like, make him keep his promise to her mom. Like, But I wish we knew him better. He was just, like, this random guy. I was going to say, he'd be the one I'd most want to background story for. Like, if there was a short story or a side story, which is a little bit weird in a series of companion novels but um he I thought he was the most interesting not fully flushed out character me too he, he didn't I mean he could have been anyone he didn't really have a personality or like any growth he was just and he ended up being like really important and really interesting yeah totally like like the little bit we knew about him it's like oh he has like a very interesting backstory he left his people he like was close to the leaders of this group like related to them and like cared for this girl and then found her again and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And the other person that I was a little sad that we didn't get more on was Jorand. Yeah. Because I thought like what an interesting character because he knows that Tova arrived on a burned boat and that she was dead, but he tells Tova that she was a sacrifice in order to kind of like manipulate her and be like, "Oh, no." you know your people didn't want you they gave you up as a ritual sacrifice like he turned her against her own people and I don't really know why like because it was it because so so she wouldn't return I don't know I I was hoping that he'd have a moment of growth like because I sort of felt like he wasn't totally bad at the beginning he was just kind of like on the fence and a little bit selfish in terms of like trying to protect his own skin and like kind of craving power a little bit and some of this stuff but I was hoping because of all their history that there'd be a moment where he'd choose her or Mm -hmm. choose the right thing oh you know what I mean and if anything Gunther had that moment which I did really like when Gunther picked her over his leader Mm -hmm. I liked that too he stabbed the the bad brother what's his name I can't remember anyone's name this is so bad Vigdis yeah but even that felt a little bit like, we started, we found out more about Gunther and stuff, but he still was like, I'm going to follow my people and, like... But he said that he has no family left and, like, you get the idea that, like, he sided with Tova almost, like, in honor of the family he lost, I guess. And it was, like, direct... He, he didn't just, like, stab Vigdis 
on a moral high ground, it was like he was about to kill Tova and he saved Tova's life by killing Victus. So that made it better right, right, right. as opposed to yeah. just like Victus is asleep and he's like, I'm going to kill him because he's not a good leader or something. That would have felt. Right. And it, it was nice to see that, to see um, Tova honor him too at the end to be yeah. like, I need to go back for his body because he is the one person who I knew was my friend. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Jorund, I just, I, I almost wish that like, Jorand had a reason for keeping her. Like, they wanted her as a truth tongue, mm-hmm. like, for the clan for some reason. And so he purposely, you know, made her hate her own people so she wouldn't escape and try to go back to them in order to, like, keep her on their side. Like, oh, we got a truth tongue. Like, this is great. But they clearly hate her and don't even want her there. So, like, that didn't pan out. I know. It's, com- it's confusing. And again, it's this weird idea where, I mean, she says it at some point too. It's like, who cares who knows who's going to win the war that you're about mm-hmm. to, go, or the battle that you're about to go into like tomorrow morning? Like, how does that help or hurt or provide any information at that point? I don't know. Yeah, I agree. It's like, it's not going to, you're not going to change your mind now. So just go fight your war and don't like drag her in and threaten to cut her hand off if she won't like tell you who's going to win tomorrow. Yeah, it's almost like they want her for the help that she can give, but they also, like, are afraid of her because she does have the power to give them bad news, and it's like they want that news, but they fear it at the same time, and maybe that's, like... I mean, that's probably why they keep her but don't treat her well, you know? (laughs) Because, like, they want her on their side to use her, but they also fear the information she gives so they fear her but she was like a six-year-old kid at the beginning which like i just can't imagine and she was all alone and the other thing i didn't love and i know you predicted it but (laughs) halvard and tova kissing and like having that again it felt we talk about this in some of these ya books sometimes it sort of felt like unnecessarily rushed and like, they didn't have enough interaction for me to be like, yes, they've formed a real romantic connection. And I still would be fine with, like, there was the hint of something starting or, like, down the road. But I feel like it could have just been friendship at this point with, like, a maybe they will t- next year or something. I don't know. It, I, I didn't feel like it needed to be, like, this, like, it almost felt like they were soulmates and they were, like, being drawn together. And, like, they had this kiss, like, in the last chapter, I feel like. And I don't know. I could have done without that. Like, yeah. Why couldn't have just have it just been like, oh, we're tied together. You know, fate's bringing us together. But the purpose is not so like we can have a romance. It's so we can do something else. Like just save our people. Exactly. And be friends. But we're talking, we always do this. We start with like what we don't like. I did like that she got reconnected with her family and we found out that they really thought she was dead. Mm-hmm. I like that they came in and saved the day. And even though I didn't love the fate aspect of it, I thought it was sort of an interesting thing, the way that compared to the rest of the clans that were hungry for blood and hungry for power and all this other stuff, they did just kind of trust in the spinners. Like, I something about having that belief so strongly, and it was an interesting idea as a contrast to what the rest of the, the clans had done. And I thought Halvard's yeah. growth as the leader was cool and good. Oh, yeah. I liked when he became chieftain and he was, like, afraid that one guy, Lantham, wouldn't accept him. Mm-hmm. And then they, like, everyone, like, universally accepts him and, like, trusts him. And I liked that a lot. I was happy for him. I was happy for him, too. And I'm glad that we saw, like, some of the people from the last book, like, all of his siblings and stuff again. Yeah. But I almost wish we still had more of that like I feel yeah. like there's two scenes maybe where I guess like during the fighting it was 
it felt really real, but I sort of also was like, they're about to go into battle and he's like wandering off by himself. And they, I felt like there should have been more of like a conversation before, even if he then wandered off by himself or I don't know. There's just a little bit of something where just because I miss them and I like them as characters Mm -hmm. from the previous book where I was like, Oh, I wanted them to talk more, like see more about what their life was like or. I, know. I don't know. And, and I was nervous for um, Elin during yes. the battle. She like almost mm-hmm. gets her arm hacked off. Yeah, I was too. And I guess we, we, we did have some people die. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, did, we had um, Gunther die. Big just stabs him. Yeah. Who else? We didn't lose Jorand. He survives. And I kind of like that. I liked that um, Halvard was like, no, we're not killing or like going back down and decimating the rest of the spell. Like, we're leaving them. We're not starting another blood feud. We're just letting yep. it go. We're a people of peace now. Right. We'll protect our own, but we'll, yeah. And I also um, liked at the end, whenever the Kier cast the stones to see what they'll do about the Nadir, and we don't see the answer. Like, in every other time they cast the stones, they have, like, oh, and then we saw the symbol, and it means this. And at the very mm-hmm. end, like, we don't get the answer, but we, like, see um, Tova and Halvard's response. Like, we just see the reaction, and, like, yeah. you know it's going to work out. And I kind of like that. It felt very like a movie scene to me. I could see, totally. I could see, you know, like they roll the dice or what are the runes and they don't show what's on the table, but you just see them like Look making eyes other. across the room and like a <laughs> smile forming and then it cuts yeah. to black. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, the, the only thing that, and I think it's because this book was so short, I agree with you, like some parts felt rushed. The one part that was like a little bit, hard for me to believe was when Tova leaves the spell, right? Mm-hmm. And she goes to Halvard and she tells them, okay, I'm leaving the spell. I want to help you guys win. Our fates are tied. You're not supposed to die. And she goes and she, like, reveals the spell's battle plans to all the Nadir and they just, like, believe her. Like, they just take her word for it. And I was like, this is so unrealistic. Like, if an enemy from your rival clan appears in your camp and is like hey I want to help you and I want to share all of my plans with you like why on earth would you believe her I guess I sort of I was on the fence about this but then I was thinking about how she saved his life already and he was the chief yeah but it was a big if anything it felt like a really big sense of trust from all the other older village (laughs) leaders and like she saved his life but she also was the one who was like I'm going to lead all of my people to Utah, or, or um, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Utah. Utah. And she was like, I'm going to lead all my people there, and they decimate the entire town. Like, she was also responsible for that, and they just kind of let that go, and they're like, oh, okay, well, we'll trust you this time. And again, like, just the turnaround time for all of that, like, I would have bought that she breaks away, convinces them, shares some information, but yeah, to your point, it was like the only person who had really seen her was Halvard, who hasn't even been, I don't know, new cheat. Like there was a lot going on at once and it was a little bit hard to be like, okay, they're just these experienced war people. It wasn't even like they're a group of people who've never fought before. Like if anything, right. they are very knowledgeable, more knowledgeable than their chief about how battle happens. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. That was a little bit far-fetched. Anyway, those are my two big problems. But I will say I did like reading it. I was entertained. Um, I like the Viking aspect of it. I think the setting is pretty cool, like these warring clans. Um, I wish that we had a map, I will say. I agree. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I was very confused about, like, where people were in in relation to each other. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I kept flipping to look for one and then realizing it wasn't there. Yeah. And I almost wish that we had had um, the spinners in the first book, too. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's... I, I, do, I obviously don't know how these books were written, but if I had to guess, I would say she probably wrote the first one and then the second one a way after, like, wasn't thinking about having a sequel. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like if she had, she would have put something about the fates and the spinners in the first one, and that connection would have been just a little bit smoother. I agree, but I also, I was glad that at least... Remember how Halvard was, like, very big on, like, don't roll the runes for us? Like, we don't care about that. So at least the people that we had, like, spent time with didn't seem super tied or into, like, reading what the spinners had to say. So that felt at least... But it wasn't like in the second book everyone's all about the spinners all the time and, like, talking about fate the same way. Like, it sort of felt like it maybe was the culture of these other groups more than it was the culture of the Nadir. But I agree. There could have been something planted at least. Um, did you have a favorite scene or like a scene you'd most want to see made into a movie? Um, I, I feel like maybe when the cure people come kind of near the end of the battle where you, you've mm-hmm. just had like the fire lit and these clans are clashing and these boats are coming in and everyone's kind of like, who are these people? Are they enemies or are they friends? And like just that moment of tension, I think would be kind of a good scene. That's always fun in scenes where like, um, did you... Have you seen the the Dragon Prince on Netflix? Of course not. I've seen no movies. It's not a movie. It's um a series on Netflix, and you should absolutely watch oh. it. But okay. um, and there was a scene in the most recent season where like two groups are battling, and like you really think one's gonna lose, and then all of a sudden like a third party comes in from nowhere, and you're like, oh my god, the day has been saved. Like I love moments like that. So I agree. Like seeing the cure ships like on the horizon would have been a good movie moment. Yeah, the visuals. Or that last scene, like we already outlined. (laughs) But from an emotional standpoint, seeing Tova and her parents meet, like that was probably my favorite Mm. scene. But as far as like visual, see it in a movie, wouldn't be the one I would pick necessarily. Or like the chieftain ceremony would have been cool. Oh, yeah. There were actually a fair number of ceremonies because we also had the funeral ceremony and we had some of the like pre-going into battle stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on. Okay, did you think of a fan name? Because I did not. No, I didn't either. Okay, here we go. Time to brainstorm. Okay, so we have spinners who are weaving together the fate, and we are... Spinning a... We're not spinning a tail. The tail's already been spun. But I don't mind spinners, actually. Okay. (laughs) Done! (laughs) Whoa, that was so easy! (laughs) Or, or are we the ones who are reading the story that's already been written? Are we the rune, or the truth tongues, or the truth rune tongues. casters, or stone, something? Stone throwers. Stone throwers. <laughs> the rolling stones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's be truth tongues, because we speak the truth about the book on the show. <laughs> and again, we're reading what's already written out there, because the author wrote it, and we're the ones yeah, reading what happens, and trying to guess. And trying to piece together the future. But not knowing exactly what it's going to look like. And our predictions are usually wrong. (laughs) Almost always. (laughs) Okay, I like that. But that doesn't stop us from predicting. (laughs) We'll be truth tongues. Okay, the only question is, is that too much just the second book? Because to your point before... Mm. Mm, I'm cool with it. (laughs) But the first book is a prequel to the... Like, we're still the same people are involved. and Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Done. That wasn't too bad. I get really nervous, but... I know, me too, but I actually kind of like brainstorming together because it's easier. 
And it's funny sometimes the stuff we come up with. I kind of like Rolling Stones, but (laughs) Truth Tongues is better. Um, Okay, so I confess I did not do much research this week. What does not much mean? Did you do anything? No, I I did do some. Okay. Um, I was just looking into Viking stories. Uh I did two things. I was looking into Viking stories, and I actually found something really cool, and I didn't know this, and I'm sure this is something that most people know, and I'm just like really late to the game. So if that's the case, I apologize. But... I found a Viking story that inspired Lord of the Rings. Oh, I didn't know this either. So, okay, so I was just reading about how, like, Vikings were, like, epic storytellers. Like, they really, really enjoyed circulating stories orally as, like, part of their tradition. And Love it. I mean, a lot of people did. A lot of groups did that. Um, and some of the stories were, like, really complicated and, like, went on for hours and like memorizing them was a really big ordeal and was really respected if you could do it. And the uh, story that I read about is called The Curse of and- Andvari's Ring. Okay. It is one of the Vikings' favorite stories and the legend is about a dwarf named Andvari and he was given or found a ring named Andvaranat, or Andvari's gift, and it gave him the power to transform into a fish whenever he wanted. (laughs) So I guess he, like, used this ring to accumulate great wealth for himself, but soon, you know, people got wind of it and started becoming jealous. And so the god Loki, who's, like, a mischievous character, he used a net to capture Andvari while he was transformed as a fish. And in order to let him go, Loki was like, I'll let you go, but you need to give me your ring. So he was like very jealous of this ring's power. And so Andvari agrees. Mm -hmm. But before he relinquishes his ring, Andvari cursed the ring and said that misfortune and peril will befall anyone who possesses it. So then Loki gives the the cursed ring to the king of the dwarves. Um, and then from then on, basically the ring gets stolen or, um, given to other people and terrible things happen to everyone who possesses it. Oh man. So like one guy kills someone and steals the ring and then changes into a dragon to guard the ring. And then, um, you know, someone else kills the dragon and then gives the ring to his beloved. And there's like Valkyries, there's elves, there's dwarves. Like it's a very epic story. Um, But the whole thing, the whole plot is, like, based around this cursed ring um, and, like, how everyone who comes in contact with it meets great misfortune. That's so cool. I love that. I I always have these weird feelings about the fact that so many stories are actually retellings of other stories. Mm -hmm. But it's also so cool to think, like, you can make things new and interesting, but these basic ideas are, like, human ideas that have been around for hundreds or thousands of years or whatever. I don't know. I really like that. Very interesting. So then I (laughs) I switched topics because I was like, that's cool, but that's not really a lot of research. Um, And then (laughs) I just started researching like people who survived drowning and just drowning in general. (laughs) Very uplifting topic. Totally. Um, I didn't know this. It only takes 60 seconds for an adult to drown. Whoa. If you were inhaling the water or what? How is that? Because you think you'd be able to hold your breath for for 60 seconds. I think, yeah, like once you're inhaling the the water. Okay. So they said that like it's also very quiet. So like in movies you see people like screaming and like thrashing around. It's like really quiet apparently. 
And yeah, it only takes 60 seconds for an adult and 20 seconds for a kid. Oh my goodness. It's so scary when you see those things about, you know, like, beware for children especially. Like, they can drown in an inch of water. Mm -hmm. And, like, it terrifies me. And it only takes, it takes less than a half a cup of water in your lungs to drown. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so that's why they say, like, you can drown in an inch of water because, like, any amount of water that covers the mouth and nose that, that is, like, near a half a cup can drown you. And a common cause of drowning, and we talked about this when we, when we discussed falling into cold water, but apparently um, if you fall into water and it's really cold or you're shocked become it, because of it, um, you have what's called an involuntary gasp reflex. And, I mean, then you're done, basically, because it's like a huge gasp that you do and it's, you can't really control it. And it totally fills up your lungs and then your 60 seconds start counting. So if someone, if you like pull someone out of water, do you just try and get them to breathe again or do you try and get them to throw up water? Like how do you get the water out of their lungs? I mean, I think that's why you do like CPR and stuff like that. Okay. Just CPR and stuff. Okay. Yes. Don't take my word for it. (laughs) I mean, I feel like that's what I see in movies again too. It's like, yeah, CPR and you're like waiting and then they like cough up water and they're fine and you're like, oh, good. Well, it's, it's just scary because like, you know how... If you're like breathing incorrectly while you're drinking and you inhale just like a little bit of water mm-hmm. and you know how painful that is. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, that think about that. That's like a teaspoon of water and like it's agony and you're like coughing and crying and like you really feel like you're dying. Um, so I totally believe it that like less than a half a cup could could do it. Yeah. That, that was just my very brief research. It's all good. I didn't research that much either, okay. but I looked a little bit into the yew tree. Oh, So that was yeah. um, kind of one of the things that connected Tova and Halvard because his hand-me-down axe and stuff had the yew tree carved into it, and one of her prominent tattoos was of the yew tree, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't really know much about it, but I guess it's like, it's kind of a fascinating tree. It's like extremely old, but it's really hard to predict how old they are, but they can live to like thousands of years. And some of the ones in like England and Ireland are thought to be like some estimates put them at 9,000 year old trees, Whoa. which is just like ridiculous. Um, yeah. And they're often tied. There's a lot of like mythology around them, both in terms of like life and death in part because of how long they live in part because almost all of the tree is extremely toxic. So um, part of the berry is not toxic. It, There's only a specific part of the berry that won't kill so you. So <laughs> the arrow, which is the red flesh of the berry that covers the seed, is the only non-poisonous part. Okay. But then the seed itself contains like the highest concentrations of the poison. So if you ingest it, Ooh. it's like really bad. And uh, I guess birds can't like break through the coating of the seed when they ingest it so or at least certain birds can't so like they can eat the berries and not have a problem but the stuff in human stomachs will break through the coating and like release the poison into our system so um you want to be careful so because they were like extremely toxic and because they lived for so long they were often tied to christian graveyards so most of or a lot of the yew trees that are still there today are around ancient graveyards because they were like um believed to be like connected to the afterlife and symbols of death and 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 whatnot so so especially like kind of like the normandy area england wales scotland ireland that whole region 
there are a lot of ewes close to graveyards. Oh, interesting. Um, what else? I read there were some different legends about how Pontius Pilate was either born under a yew tree or played under a yew tree growing up, which I thought was just kind of like a random fun fact. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess because he's like a symbol of death. Yeah, I don't I know guess. why. Condemning Jesus. But I think there's like some, there must be some like historical record that talks about him growing up and yew trees. That sounds like someone who made that up like after the fact, you know, like, oh, and he played under yew trees. <laughs> also, you know? who knows how common they were? Maybe everyone played under yew trees. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. At some point in your um, life. Also, even though they're extremely toxic, they're are certain compounds in the bark of yew trees that in, I think it was the late 60s, were found to, um, like, help with anti-cancer agents or, like, have anti-cancer agents in them. So especially, like, before, like, chemotherapy became really common, I guess they used to synthesize something that they extracted from the European yew tree, and it was supposed to help with cancers. That's amazing. So I guess in the right chemical set up it could be helpful i was gonna say because if most parts are toxic and will kill you it's kind of funny that they're like well this part might kill you or it might save your life we're not really sure well to be fair i guess a lot of cancer treatments are about killing the cancer cells right yep so i guess something talk like that's kind of the point you want to kill these like super that's a good point and so the wood of the yew tree is also it's kind of like similar to cedar or pine but it's was really commonly used as weapons. So, like, longbows, it was really popular in the longbow. And um, hmm. some of the world's oldest wooden artifacts are you spearheads. Oh, no wonder they were symbols of death. Yeah, I know. That doesn't really help, right? Mm-mm. I don't know. There weren't any, any, like, really... I was hoping for, like, some cool mythology story, but I didn't really find... I didn't search for that long. I'm sure there's something out there, but... There's so many Viking stories, too, and just, like, oh, my gosh, the whole thing with Norse mythology, it can... We could go down a very long, dark rabbit hole (laughs) and never emerge. Well, we we should maybe read more books that are kind of based on that area, because I actually, like, don't think about it that much. You know, again, I feel like there's certain time periods that are written about so much that I... Even if I haven't researched them a lot, just by reading a lot of books, I feel like I, like, have some good ideas. Like, this was kind of my first viking-ish story besides like i don't know i feel like i didn't know that much about the vikings i had like some ideas from like how to train your dragon <laughs> love that movie <laughs> it's very good yeah i, I mean I, it is nice being in a world that's a little bit different because there's just so many like medieval europe settings um so it's nice when we get kind of like a different a different kind of history and inspiration yeah, and you kind of think, or at least I feel like my impression of the Vikings was sort of this, like, violent, fighty clans group of people stuff, but I loved how this book had that aspect of them, but also, mm-hmm. like, flushed out, because they really had, like, so much culture and so much community and so, you know, um, a lot of, like, legends and stuff like this, so it's cool to, like, be like, oh, yeah, they weren't just, like these brutes who fought everybody and whatever. There's so many beautiful, long-haired, blonde men with elaborate hairstyles. I think that's what I'd want to see most in a movie. (laughs) Because they always talked about, like, these elaborate braids that they had in their hair, and, like, the men had, like, their beards all braided and, like, these beautiful, long manes of blonde hair. I think that's what I want to (laughs) see. 
I'm in it for the hair. Well, and same with like Tova's um, tattoos and stuff. Yeah, just some of the imagery, I think, or some of the just like, yeah, pictures itself would be pretty cool. The other thing, this is not related at all to our reading, but I just happen to be, I don't know where I stumbled upon this this week, but I was reading about how basically people today are like, oh, kids like can't focus. They don't read books anymore. Like they're always on their phones. We're having like a moral crisis. Yeah, whatever. But I was reading about how back in like the 18th century, people were really concerned about the threat posed by people reading too much. So they're, they believed they called it reading addiction or reading rage or reading fever or reading mania. So it had a bunch of different names, but it was like thought of as an epidemic that had broken out in Europe where especially the young people were reading too much. Yeah. Reading too much. Can you imagine people saying that today? (laughs) I know, but it's so funny to think about how like that was like, Oh, the, the rebels, like, I wonder what we, or what I would have been like back then, because I'm such a, like, rule follower, and, like, I feel like, you know, goody two-shoes, but I love to read, but, like, in our culture, that's a good thing. You'd be like, a book will never touch my fingertips. And they said a lot of it had to do with both the rise of novel reading, so, like, mass media had a, you know, we could print things, more people were literate, you just had, like, more access to stuff, but um, I guess there were a lot of people who, I forget what book it was that came out. Um, the Bible. But just kidding. A lot of people were committing suicide, they thought, because they were reading a certain book. The Sorrows of Young Werther, I think. And, uh, you know, just in general, they thought it was, like, exposing people to, like, promiscuous, immoral ideas. And I just, like, I love this idea. I'm, like, picturing, like, kids today on their phones and, like, the older generations, like, rolling their eyes at how kids Mm -hmm. are on their phones. And I'm picturing kids walking around with, like giant hardback books like, massive in the same way like yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, I just like love this idea so I thought I would share that just because it was fun to read about well <laughs> and was it everyone that they were concerned about or was it like targeted to women because like you heard that a lot like oh it's not good for a woman to read you'll get dangerous ideas yeah I have heard that a lot so I just saw this like one quick short thing about it and it just was talking about how it was a dangerous disease that afflicted the young so it didn't talk about gender specifically but it did talk about like the younger people (laughs) yeah wow how the times have changed (laughs) so I think I have become infected though with reading I think I have reading mania I'm gonna add that to my list I definitely have that bad (laughs) Like, it's a problem. I'm just waiting to, like, fill out a form, you know, when I go to the <laughs> dentist and they, like, ask for your medical background. And I'm like, oh, also I suffer from reading me. Any pre-existing conditions? <laughs> well, I think we both have it because we both have that thing that we talk about where, like, and I don't think this is normal, where, like, we have so many books that we want to read that sometimes we get, like, paralyzed by it. Like, yeah. I feel like this overwhelming anxiety and dread of, like, I have so many books to read and I'll never get through them. But, like... The healthy part of my brain is like, no, this is a good thing. You're looking forward to reading. Like, it's not bad that you have a lot of books to read. Like, look forward to it. Don't treat it like it's this thing of doom where you're like, oh, I'll never get through them all. <laughs> but it happens. Well, and I think I think we've talked about before, I've read, like, some articles about the value of having a library of books you haven't read or, like, having mm. books around that you haven't actually had time to read. But I was reading this other article – I guess I just want to justify my own behavior a lot, so I read articles like this. But um, it was, like, this couple, and the a narrator was a female, and her, like, partner only had books that he had read and loved, and she 
had a ton of books that she was like, mm. I probably will never read this. Like, so she was talking a lot about a book on like dollhouses mm. from the 1800s or something. And she was like, but I can't get rid of it because it just like even just having it around like sparks my imagination and like all this stuff. But it was kind of comparing these two different types of people and how they acquire like even two people who love books and love to read and how they have like these completely different approaches to like stocking their library. And I thought it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I think it has value to have books on your shelf that you might never read. Like I absolutely have books on my shelf that I have bought and have said to myself, like, you know, you're never going to read this, but I enjoy having it on the shelf. And I'm trying to strike a better balance. So this year, so again, talking about book of the month, I had, I think I had as of today, like 67 books that I've bought from book of the month (laughs) over the course of like however many years I've been doing it, three years or something. But I had only read like 12 of them before December of last year. And this year, so that was like one of my big commitments for this year was to read, like if I'm going to pay for these hardback books that just came out, I want to be reading them promptly or else I should wait and get them used when I have time. Um, So I I only have two left for this year and I'm hoping to finish. But it's just, it is kind of funny to think about like, because I buy so many, like, I don't have to only buy books that I'm about to read, but I need, I'm trying to be more conscious about reading what I have or waiting to buy a book until I have time to read it or whatever, except if it's a good used book sale, you know, I'm going to walk away with something. Oh my God. I know. I just shut one down a couple <laughs> months ago. Like literally was one of the last people to leave. <laughs> I love it. I, well, I was in Portland for less than 24 hours. I really wanted to go to Powell's, but we didn't have time. And then we get to the airport and there's little Powell's book nook. I saw yeah. that. And yeah. I still found a used book to buy, so. Mission accomplished. It means it was a good trip. <laughs> exactly. Success. So what do we want to rate this book? Because we still have to do a rating. Okay, let's rate it out of... Runestones? How many yeah. runestones are there? 24 or oh, something. Oh, shit. Right? How about 10? Let's narrow it down. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to pick the numbers from the... Yeah, that's fine. Out of 10 runestones. The series, right? Not yeah, just the, the book series. Or, okay. I guess I would give it like a six and a half. Well, maybe that's two. Maybe a seven. I, I didn't dislike it. I just, um, it didn't stay with me like some of the other books we've read. Like I thought, I thought that it was a creative story, but I wasn't enamored with many characters. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say like, yeah, I'm going to go with six and a half. I think I agree. I was like debating between six and seven. So six and a half is right in there. But again, I thought it was good. I didn't have a lot of like serious complaints or problems with it. It was easy to read. I enjoyed it while I read it, but it's not something where I'm like, oh, I need to like go out and tell everyone about this book immediately. Agreed. Yeah. Whereas the next one we're going to read for the new year, our first series of season four. 2020. Oh my God. Can you believe it? Crazy. I'm super excited for this series because I've read the first one the first book in it, and loved it. It's called The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. So we're going to read the Folk of the Air series. How many books is it? Three. And the last one actually just came out this past November. Perfect. Um, So yeah, it's it's relatively new. This book is about fairies, and I hate fairy stories. (laughs) I do. Like, just to put that out there, I really dislike stories about fairies. Don't care about them. Not my thing. I loved this book. Okay, I'm excited. Um, do you want to read a little bit about it? Yes, but I don't have it with me. Do you have something? Oh, I do. Okay. okay. I will I will read a little blurb about the cruel prince. Okay. 
Jude was seven when her parents were murdered and she and her two sisters were stolen away to live in the treacherous high court of fairy. Ten years later, Jude wants nothing more than to belong there, despite her, mor her mortality. But many of the Fae despise humans, especially Prince Cardan, the youngest and wickedest son of the High King. To win a place at court, she must defy him and face the consequences. As Jude becomes more deeply embroiled in palace intrigues and deceptions, she discovers her own capacity for trickery and bloodshed. But as betrayal threatens to drown the courts of Fae in violence, Jude will need to risk her life in a dangerous alliance to save her sisters and fairy itself. Ooh, that sounds good. It's so good. I'm excited. Is it long? No. I haven't. I ordered it, but it hasn't come yet. No, so. I think um, for the first part, we're going to read up to chapter 18. Awesome, awesome. But between now and then, we will still have our final season wrap up. Yeah. We have our final season recap and our bloopers reel to look forward to. So there's still stuff coming before the end of this year. So stay tuned. Yeah. If you have questions or things you want to hear about in our recap, send them our way. And you can do that by emailing us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. Or on Instagram and Facebook at mnktalkya. But. But. I almost forgot. I have to tell you a joke. Yes, you do. And my dad actually texted me a joke this week. Okay. So this is like a dad joke from a dad. From my dad. Perfect. Uh, very authentic. How do you get to the weight room at Hogwarts? Oh, okay. I'm going to try and guess this, actually. How do you get to the weight room at Hogwarts? You lift the portrait? I don't know. Through the dumbbell door. <laughs> That's good. And then we had a, a fan send me a joke, but it's a picture um, so I'm not sure how to do this appropriately, but it's a okay. picture of Santa holding what looks like a selfie stick, but at the end of the selfie stick, instead of a phone, it's an elf tied to the stick taking a picture of Santa. So it says, like, elfie stick instead of selfie stick. <laughs> it's pretty funny, though. I'll oh, that's good. <laughs> who, do you, who sent that? Just one of our fans? That was from Steph. Thank yep. you, Steph. So, yeah. Cool. Okay, anything else? I feel like... I don't know. I, know, I feel like I can't believe we're it. Say, the, wrapping up the last series of the season, but we'll be back. So it's not that weird. <laughs> we'll be back. We're not going <laughs> anywhere. All right. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.